Hi, and welcome to The Bitten Word. I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. Okay, so get out your secret Stanley Tucci fan club decoder rings for a special yes. message from your club leaders. <laughs> we might have to make decoder rings. I don't know what it would say. <laughs> like, drink, can't be, be sure Ovaltine. to drink your Ovaltine. I know. <laughs> I used to like Ovaltine when I was a kid. Oh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, me too. It's like instant chocolate milk. <laughs> okay, so anyway... um this really this is ridiculous because this really has started like this just started as us liking him like in julie and julia and in some other movies but it like expanded now it's like a running joke um and we've been finding out all kinds of fun things about him because we started like following him on instagram and stuff um but if so anyway you can follow him on instagram um and it's his instagram is like all him cooking which is Mm -hmm. like so perfect for for our our podcast um but he has not one but two cookbooks you guys and Ashley got one from the library I did from the library I had it downstairs and we are super doing a bonus episode about one of those recipes because how could we not yeah so one of them is called the Tucci table and one is called the Tucci cookbook he also has another book coming out something to the I gotta start writing down <laughs> book names and authors before I start I mentioning think it's them. called I think it's called my life in food yeah that's what I was gonna say but I didn't know if that was a subtitle so yeah anyway um those that one is coming out the cookbooks are out he also has a new show where he travels through Italy and eats food right like how could it get better than that <laughs> <laughs> yes. In any case, um, you you can be saturated in in Stanley Tucci. Um, so if you stand, stand, go get yourself a Tucci cookbook <laughs> or the Tucci table. Woo woo woo! Let us know if you make anything. <laughs> okay, I'm excited for today. I'm excited for every day. I really like every podcast. I know, right? Done. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Everything is fun. It's not like a total labor, you know. No. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, we're talking about Princess and the Frog. I was originally going to be doing a different movie for this week, but then I realized that this week is Mardi Gras. So we switched it and now we're making Tiana's famous gumbo and man catching beignets. (laughs) Something I really like about this movie is that food is used like as a way to unite people. Yes. Uh, This is a far cry from last week when we were talking about the Hunger Games and the way that food is a tool of oppression and division. That's true. Yeah. It's like the direct antithesis to that. But that's what's so great about food is that it's so like versatile and it means so many things to so many people. Mm -hmm. And it's also part of the reason why I love this podcast because it's like comparative art, you know, and we're not just trying food that looks so good in these movies and books, but we're like analyzing the role it plays in people's lives, which is fascinating, I think. Yeah. No, it really is. I love this movie though. When have I not said that? (laughs) I know, but this one really is really good. And I think that it came right at the right time. It was like right after a big slump that Disney Mm -hmm. had. I feel like they didn't have a lot of movies that came out that really kind of captured you. And it was when Disney animation was still kind of figuring out their, their place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially with like Pixar and everything, because they were kind of messing around with computer animation and stuff. But then they came out with this one, which was so in the old school vein. Um, (laughs) But, you know, for me, Princess and the Frog has some significant memories because 
Um, I said on the Instagram, but you may not know if you didn't see that, that I am a military wife and I, we entered into the military after we were married. So right before my husband went to boot camp, where he was going to be gone for two months, where we couldn't call him, we were going to have barely any contact, just letters sometimes. Um, and we had a, our daughter was uh, almost two when this happened and the movie came out right before he left for boot camp, which was like right around this time frame, like late January. He left on February 2nd. So this was like really close to right now yeah. that we went as a family and we took Kennedy to her very first movie. And it was just like this really nice family experience right before he had to go yeah. for a long time, you know? So for me, it kind of holds a little special place for that reason. I remember sitting in the theater and thinking that, that, oh, this is so nice to be together as a family, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially so. because that was really hard when he left you. And that was when you were, you were pregnant with was, Noah yeah. and mm -hmm. you had Noah while he was still at boot camp. Yeah. It, yeah. And <clears throat> so it, it was, it was a very emotional, very difficult time you know, in my personal life and in our marriage, just because boot camp messes with your head <laughs> yeah. just a little. And we were entering into this brand new life that we didn't know what the mm -hmm. lifestyle was like. We moved to a brand new place. You know, we had a brand new baby. Uh, we, we both had been away from each other for a couple of months and had experiences that we couldn't really share with each other very well because we couldn't communicate. So it, it was just like a really nice, Thing that happened before we had to figure out all that stuff yeah but yeah so this movie has got great music it's got a great oh my plot. gosh yeah yeah i i mean honestly there really aren't very many disney movies where i've been underwhelmed by the music that's um, true <clears throat> who did who did this music this wasn't alan Menken, was it honestly i don't know let's see i know that Dr. J, is that who it is? Did at least the Down in New Orleans, the beginning well, song? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's always like, um, you know, lots of people singing and, and you have like guest composers and stuff, but there's typically like one composer doing the background soundtrack music and it was Randy yeah. Newman. Yeah. That, I guess it just doesn't sound, yeah, like Randy Newman to me, what I would expect. No him to sound like because I'm thinking like Toy Story Randy Newman because that's yeah. actually Randy Newman singing quite a, he didn't do just Toy Story either I mean he did A Bug's Life and he did a couple others I think um, but yeah it does it has really great music and I think music is actually like a central piece of this of this movie um, just for a lot oh, of oh it really things. is absolutely um, well it takes well, place in New Orleans yeah, and exactly. you have the jazz and then with Naveen and Lewis and mm -hmm. their well, I guess that's kind of different. Lewis and Naveen look at music slightly differently, even though they both love it, because Naveen wants it because it's playtime. Yeah. And that's that's what he wants is playtime. And Tiana doesn't have time yeah. for music and dancing and stuff, mm -hmm. but that's all Naveen wants. But and it's Lewis's passion. Exactly. And he he wants to use it to I guess, fulfill his life's purpose. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think our cousin Mike was an animator in this movie. For Lewis, I think. For Lewis, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I 
this I could be completely making this up but for whatever reason the narrative I have in my brain is that he was like a big animator for Lewis but was like one hour short of being credited yes yeah I remember that too okay so maybe it's not totally either one of us heard it from the other one (laughs) 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 we're totally making things up or it's true yeah some I, I mean, we have 10 bazillion family members, right? And some of them at least are listening to this podcast. So if you know that that story is true or not, check fact check us. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, so I don't know. It's got great characters. There's some really good like character development happening. Um, and Naveen is arguably the most physically attractive Disney prince. And it's a real shame that he's a frog for 90% of the movie. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I agree. He's probably the most physically attractive, but Philip will always have my heart. I do. Philip like is Philip. my favorite. Okay, who's who's the least attractive Disney prince? The Beast, absolutely. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and his fat calves. <laughs> and and I'm not talking about the Beast and Beast form. As a the Beast, beast and Beast. No. Form more attractive than the no. beast in human form. <laughs> prince Adam. No, no, that's true. I was gonna say Prince Eric, but you're right. You're right. It's Prince Adam. So yes. anyway, do you remember that time at California Adventure when you saw Tiana and you, <laughs> you couldn't stop looking at her because she was so yes. pretty? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So we went to breakfast. Here I go with Disney breakfasts again. <laughs> it's like one of the best part of the trip. If you, if you have not done a big breakfast buffet or a character breakfast at one of the Disney parks, you really should because your life isn't complete. So we went to Ariel's Grotto at California Adventure um, to have like the Disney princess breakfast and it's not a buffet so points against but it was a really nice atmosphere and they did have a bunch of princesses come through to your table so when we were there one of them was Tiana and I swear she came to our table and the world stopped and the birds started singing and rainbows came out. And I just, I couldn't stop looking at her because she was so beautiful. I was just like, it was this really weird moment. Like, I, I don't know what happened, but she was, she was just gorgeous. And I was gawking at her and I felt a little stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so today uh, we're making Tiana's gumbo. And when we're also making beignets, um, And so to set the scene here for the gumbo, Tiana is a poor child living in New Orleans. She's the daughter of an aspiring chef and restaurateur and a seamstress. We don't actually hear what her dad's job is now, Mm -mm. Um, but it's assumed he's like a factory worker or something like that. Um, And she's best friends with Charlotte, who is the rich daughter of some sort of like crop baron. I'm assuming he's got some sort of like inherited wealth from like the pre-civil war south um charlotte has everything she wants handed to her and while um tiana's family is working their fingers to the bone just to survive much less to prosper prosper um so we see tiana and her mother eudora going home from charlotte's house one night after eudora has made yet another incredible princess dress for charlotte and they leave (laughs) They leave from this gorgeous Creole style mansion, which looks like the haunted mansion in Disneyland. It totally does, which is why it's (laughs) in New Orleans Square. Yes. Um, And go home to what uh, 
is basically shacks you know uh we see baby tiana she's so cute standing on a chair making Mm. gumbo for her family and she and her dad are clearly bonding over this gumbo and he says it's the best gumbo he's ever had and that it has to be shared and so they call out the door that she's made gumbo and the whole neighborhood comes over for a taste i i really like this scene because i really like like the sense of community i love that she just like goes and you know calls out the door and everybody you know comes and and not just that they come to try it but that they're also like supportive and they're like oh yeah. it smells good and like I got you know puppies. yes that i got hush puppies. <laughs> I know. they all just like come together you know and and i don't know help each other and there's just like a lot of support there that i really i really like Yeah. And her dad talks about it right there in that scene too, saying that food brings people together from all walks of life. They even said, and while in that situation, they're kind of all in the same walk of life. Uh But I think that through the movie, you can kind of see a little bit of them bringing it together with other people too. We, We definitely see more of it later. Um, later. I think even particularly with like Lewis because he talks about food a lot yes, he does and he's a gator and so I was thinking about that and I was thinking for him he wants to be human and for him music and food are distinctly human things yeah. things that only humans really experience and enjoy so for him thinking about all of the mouth-watering you know New Orleans foods which he mentions a ton of yeah I mean like bananas foster and muffalettas mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff and he he's dreaming about being human so I kind of liked that because I agree I think food is distinctly human and it helps us to bond and connect as humans yeah so there is quite a bit of food in this movie but mm-hmm. most of it that's mentioned by name is mentioned by Lewis yeah which is kind Shrimp of funny. po boys and yeah and uh crawdads and remoulade sauce and yeah okay so um for the beignet scene later we see Tiana <laughs> as an adult and she's working two jobs um her father has died and she's saving every penny she can to buy this old uh sugar mill is it a sugar mill yeah i think so um, okay, so to buy an old sugar mill to make into a restaurant that she and her dad have always dreamed about. Um, and as she's working at the cafe, Charlotte and her dad come in and Tiana makes them some beignets and Charlotte calls them man-catching beignets. And she wants to buy a bunch as part of her like wooing Prince Naveen who is due to visit in a few uh-huh. months coming to a ball at Charlotte's mansion. Um, so in this cafe scene, Charlotte takes out like a wad of cash from her dad's wallet without looking and just throws it at Tiana and says, is this enough? Um, and, you know, this is like what what ultimately puts gosh this is what ultimately puts you know tiana over the edge to be able to afford the sugar mill and um Uh so a quick aside this is kind of a funny detail to me the fact that she just like grabs all this cash and is like here because i remember reading this article one time that was something like you know six things i learned as a bellhop in a fancy hotel um and he just talked okay about, okay i know it sounds really random um but 
I promise there's a connection here. So he basically talks about this ends up being like that fancy hotels cater to rich people. And Mm -hmm. as such, they like a lot of weird stuff happens because they like. Because they can pay for the privilege of doing the weird stuff. Yeah, because they can pay for it and they want their business. And these are the only people who can afford to stay there. And so they will kind of allow them, let them get away with anything. Um, And so he said he saw a lot of weird stuff like that. But one of the things he mentioned was that he said, money means nothing to rich people. Like they basically have no concept of like (laughs) normal amounts of money because he said that, um, he would be working like at the, like at the drive through like the pull up where people will pull up and drop off all their bags and stuff. And he said that sometimes when he like got people's luggage out or called cars that they would just pull whatever was in their wallet out and give it to him. And that could be a dollar or it could be like $500 and they would just huh. not even look and just give it away because it means nothing because they're not, because they have a, so much of it. Yes. Because well, it's a, like Bill Gates, like, it can't mean anything to him. You buy a Ferrari and it hasn't even made a dent. Like Exactly. You know? I mean, yeah, imagine Jeff Bezos spending literally any amount of money. Like, I saw, I saw the thing the other day that was like, if you ever feel bad about yourself, just remember, you're closer to being a millionaire than Jeff Bezos is. <laughs> you're kind of like, <laughs> oh, that's really depressing. <laughs> so, um, that's really funny. <laughs> It's like it's weirdly <laughs> encouraging and also extremely depressing. Um, yeah. Well, and it, it is like that wish for Charlotte because she just, she doesn't look at it. It's tons of dollar bills and she yeah. goes, will this about cover yes. it? Like she has no idea how much it yeah. costs. She yeah, doesn't and, know if they're 50 cents or she's just yeah. like, uh, take it. You know? Yeah. Especially in the twenties, those beignets probably cost like five cents a piece, you oh, know, yeah. if that, <laughs> like, if that, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a funny detail to have added in when that's, like, really what rich people are like. And we're talking, like, absurdly wealthy people, you know? Yeah, like, like he yeah. was. Yes. I do feel like I have to throw a plug in there for Charlotte, though, because we kind of just threw shade at her for being a rich girl. <laughs> but she's actually super bubbly and super cute and I feel like her heart is really in the right place and her priorities are straight even though she does act kind of spoiled at least when it when it comes down to it right when it counts yeah Yeah. she she really she really is good because she really does she does some really spoiled things you know like when she says I never get anything that I want you know and storms off like Okay, Charlotte, but, um, but yeah, like when, you know, she really wants to marry Naveen, but she finds out that they're in love, you know, she decides very quickly, like, okay, I'll do it for you. You know, I'll kiss him so that you can be with him. Yeah. Um, No hesitation whatsoever. I love the part where they're at the party and she's made this whole table of beignets and it gets Mm -hmm. like turned over and Charlotte is the one that paid for them. She wanted them because they were man-catching beignets to help her get her prints. But instead of being angry, she just says, oh, look at you. Let me help you. And takes her up to her room and gives her one of her own dresses Mm -hmm. and cleans her up. Like there's never any, any bad feelings with her. Yeah. So I think she definitely deserves props. Yeah, she does. But in like both of these 
instances though we kind of see food as the great uniter um and you're talking about like the people from all walks of life because in this instance we do we see that you know she's working at just a little dinky cafe but charlotte and her dad both come just to taste her beignets yeah um and that charlotte thinks that they are good enough that she wants a prince yes she feels like she is underneath and she wants to rise to his station will enjoy as well and it'll help her cause yeah so you know rich people and poor people the royalty and the common you know people like black people and white people so let's talk about gumbo so the history of gumbo seems to be long and possibly like kind of muddled. It sounds like some of the sources are a bit disputed. And I think this just comes from the fact that gumbo and Creole food in general is a mixture of like West African and indigenous and European cultures. And so yeah. I think um, everybody claims it, you know, and it kind of gets lost. But as far as I could tell, um, the word gumbo comes from um, the fact that in several West African languages, the word for okra is ki ungombo. Um, and really? okra, yeah, that's and so, interesting. Yeah, so they think that that's where the word gumbo came from. Although there are some other claims to it, hmm. that one okay. seemed the most realistic to me. Um, okra is originally from what is like present-day Ethiopia. So this is an African crop and it was originally brought over on slip sh ships carrying enslaved Africans. And so that it would make sense. fascinating actually that it's originally from Africa because I only think of it as a southern, yeah. like a deep south mm -hmm. kind of dish, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think there are actually a lot of a lot of crops like this that came to the U.S. like with the advent of slavery and the ushering in of of slavery. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. So another common ingredient used in gumbo is filet, um, which is ground sassafras root. It's got like a really earthy flavor. You can buy it like in the spice section. It's not hard to find. Um, it's good though. And I've only ever used it in, in gumbo because I don't know what else you would use it in, but it's very good in gumbo. Um, and I think it's like the one ingredient that really puts it over, you know, like you have good gumbo and then you add filet and it's like great gumbo, <laughs> you know? Um, mm, yeah. So okra is used as a thickening agent for gumbo. If you've ever cut it, you know, it's like slimy on the inside. Okay. And that slime, I was gonna say, it's not slime, it's mucus. Um, <laughs> it's mucus. <laughs> so that slime, um, like, makes but your stew thicker. It's not. <laughs> you can still eat your okra. So yeah, so you can use okra as a thickening agent for gumbo, but gumbo wasn't always available. And as a replacement, people were using filet, which was used by the indigenous population of, Louisi blah, blah, of Louisiana, <laughs> uh, specifically by the <laughs> Chata or Choctaw people. Uh, filet is a thickener as well. And so then the third thickener you can use is a brick roux. A roux is a mixture of equal parts flour and fat, and it's used to thicken soups and sauces. Um, I use one mm -hmm. for my macaroni sauce, and you would use it to make three out of the five mother sauces, if you know what the mother sauces are. They're like 
the sauces that every other sauce is made of in in you know culinary circles um so brick refers to the color of the roux the longer you cook it the darker it gets and you develop more flavors and in this case it would be a very dark roux um but it's hard to get it that dark without burning it so i don't typically don't go as dark as i'm supposed to So I like to use a brick roux, okra, and filet through, um, though, so my gumbo usually comes out fairly thick, more like a stew, but I like it that way. Uh, gumbo is really versatile, though, and it comes with, like, various varieties of proteins, including chicken, pork, seafood, etc. And it can be more like a soup, or it can be thicker like a stew, but it almost always includes andouille sausage, okra, and or filet. And then the Creole aromatics, onion, bell pepper, celery, known as the holy trinity. Um, in typical American dishes, we use onion, celery, and carrot as our aromatics, uh, but these are regional, and they change from place to place. You have different ones in France and, you know, everywhere else. They just kind of give your food, like, a base flavor to build off of an ad body? Um, I change food a lot. Uh, you guys have heard already that my husband does not really like onions very much. Um, so that's not included in my gumbo tonight. Also, our family, just like none of us, like bell peppers at all. We don't love bell peppers either, but we like them well enough in gumbo. It was fine when you made it for me and you put the peppers in there. Um, but I didn't include them this time. I also only used a roux and I didn't put okra in. Yeah. I the recipe though, to be fair, did not call for okra. No, I, I just did. I mean, I only followed the recipe very base, like, you know, as kind of a base. I, I have it more or less memorized. Yeah. But just saying <clears throat> there, once again, make it your own, make it something that you will enjoy. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean. Like when I say it's very versatile, like we'll give you this recipe, but you can change it to fit, you know, what you like. Um, oh, I forgot to add Tabasco. Oh man, a, I didn't either. We totally should have done that. That is, I <laughs> bought Tabasco to put in it. That is a sin. Cause in the movie, that's what she says, hit it hard with a couple yeah. hits of Tabasco and it's the bee's knees. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want it to be like Tiana's put Tabasco in it. Um, but I forgot, man. It was pretty spicy though, otherwise, because I used a lot of Creole seasoning. So did I. It, it calls for like two teaspoons of cayenne, and my cayenne is like wicked spicy. And so I only used like half a teaspoon. Yeah, I didn't put the cayenne in there because my kids wouldn't have eaten it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's I mean, you can add you know, Creole seasoning is kind of like you add whichever one you like, um, but then you can also add hot sauce. You know, you can, yeah, you can change it up quite a bit. You can use shrimp, you know, if you want. And I think that is pretty authentic. Yeah, I think um, it's pretty common. Yeah. And then you can also use like, you could like combine meats like shrimp and chicken. Um, we just did chicken because I don't love seafood. Um yeah, we've had sausage and chicken in ours. Yes, we had we had andouille in ours too. Um, so yeah, it, it really is. It's very, very versatile. This recipe comes from Tegan Gerard at halfbakedharvest.com. Yes, Mrs. Mooney's um, 
gumbo. <laughs> yes. And shout out to Half Baked Harvest. I have both of her cookbooks and I've been following her blog for years. And I have so many staple recipes from her blog and her pictures are amazingly delicious looking. But if you guys want a really, really banging poutine recipe, go to Half Baked mm. Harvest. Yeah. It's, I mean, also, poutine is poutine, but it's, it's really the gravy that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> also, the mom's favorite or mom's best oatmeal chocolate chip cookies, those things, they, they are so good, man. So when it comes to the beignets, um, beignets are, if you don't know, they're kind of like a square donut. Like that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> Essentially, yes. <laughs> yeah. They're but they're like they're not bready in the middle, like like a typical donut. They're usually puffed and like have air in the middle. Like if you've ever had a sopapilla, they're really similar to that mm -hmm. in like texture and style. Um Beignets are originally a French dish. They were brought by French settlers to the Acadian region of Canada and then were forcibly migrated to Louisiana when the British took over 100 years later. They brought their food, their language, their culture and everything with them and they settled in Louisiana, which was sort of becoming like a melting pot of cultures at that point because of indigenous populations, multiple European yeah, colonizers sure. and enslaved Africans. Um, the Acadians became the modern day Cajuns. You can hear it like Acadians, Cajuns. Oh, um, interesting. That makes yeah. sense. And if you've ever heard like actual Cajun, you know, like people speaking, you know, like Creole or whatever, it's got actually, I think Creole and Cajun are different things. Um, there's a difference there, but I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, if you hear it, they, a lot, there's a lot of French in there. Yeah, it's very French influenced, but I think it would still be difficult for French speakers oh, yeah. to understand each other. Um, we had a lot of Haitians that went to church with us in Florida when we lived there. And they speak Creole. Um, and they would like, they couldn't really use the French resources that we mm -hmm. had for them because it was just different enough yeah. that it was kind of hard to understand. Well, and that makes sense, right? I mean, languages change regionally quite a bit. And and it's not just like a straight up regional French. It's it's quite a different language. Yeah. But it just has just a, a lot dialect. of French vocabulary. Yeah. Yes. And so it's it's not even quite the same as saying, you know, the difference between like American English and British English, you know? Yeah. Um I want I wonder if it's more like the difference between Portuguese and Spanish you know oh maybe yeah because they're very similar but yeah. it's or just like different Dutch enough. And German yeah um yeah if anybody if anybody knows <laughs> let us know um but you know beignets stuck around because they're delicious um yes don't, don't yes, leave your are. beignets behind <laughs> um okay I have a bone to pick here with Americans who call beignets scones Scones oh, well, are, <laughs> that would be my husband. <laughs> scones are a totally different thing. They're a British thing. They're more like kind of kind of like a biscuit sort of, but not. Except usually sweet. Yeah. They don't have to be sweet, but I think most of the time they are. They're served with tea. They're a little breadier than a biscuit. But okay, I found out 
this is a Mormon thing. I thought it was just a thing that some people did and some people didn't. But apparently it's okay. regional to only Idaho and Utah. And so Utah. Yep. So it's totally a Mormon thing, which is funny because now that I think about it, the only people I've ever heard call beignet scones were Mormon people. <laughs> so yeah. Brett's the only one that I've really ever heard do that. And we actually had like a total miscommunication about that one time because I was making scones and he was like, oh, sweet scones. And then I came out with this like scones, you know, yeah. and he was like, those aren't scones. I was like, yes, they are. What are you talking, talking about? Okay. So now it's time to try the gumbo. We actually already <laughs> ate the gumbo. <laughs> our, we had our... some technical glitches yeah. today and we had to record later than usual. So we have our <laughs> Yeah. It was good though. It, mine was really thick and I like it with a really thick kind of gravy in it. Um, I need to yeah, cut my sausage smaller though, because I have like full rounds instead of like half moons and oh yeah, I did half moons. It was like perfect bite size. Yeah. Are my beignets? It was good. It was just slightly spicy. I did it um, you know, over rice. And also mm. I made mine in my instant pot and it turned out oh, yeah. really well. Oh really? it turned out really well. Yeah. So what did you do? Um, what did I do? Yeah, like, did you make the roux and add the veggies and saute them? And then? Yes. Essentially, that's what it was. So um, this recipe, we're going to give it to you from the Half-Baked Harvest blog, but it also is in her newest cookbook. And it has instructions for stovetop, slow cooker, or instant pot. Um, so I followed her directions. And on my instant pot, I have a saute feature. And so I made the roux with the saute feature on. And while it was on, I cut veggies and garlic and sausage and everything. And then once the roux was ready, I just plopped in celery and garlic and stuff and then added the spices while those were cooking. And then you add in the meat, add in the broth and cook it for 35 minutes. And it was really flavorful and really good. And I usually have problems, particularly with slow cooker meat even with instant pot stuff because I feel like there's no um this time I I didn't add any seasonings afterward but it still was super flavorful so I would say that if you want to do it in the slow cooker or I mean you can do it in the slow cooker or in the instant pot uh if you're short on time I think it it does make for a really quick and very tasty meal um, and you can make a lot at once. So if you're trying to feed a lot of people, it's a good big pot recipe. Oh yeah. We fed, well, two of my kids wouldn't eat it. So four of us, but they all ate did. it when I made it. <laughs> I know. I don't know what the thing was then, but Beckham and Bryce wouldn't touch it for some reason today. Um, but they, so we fed four people with it and I still have a huge leftover container that will probably last us for two or three lunches. Yeah. So it's, it's good for a party. Fair warning. When leftovers come out of the fridge, they smell like farts straight up. <laughs> there you go. So, but it will taste fine once it's reheated. <laughs> um, 
was I going to say? Oh, I got to say, though, every time I think of gumbo, I think of that. I don't want a gumbo recipe from the New York Times. I want a gumbo recipe from a woman named Mama Thibodeau Landry. <laughs> What's that from? It's, it's like a tweet or something. And it's just, I don't know. I got to, I'll find it and put on the Instagram. But it's true. It's, it's funny. So if it's, a, if it's a tweet, then what that means is they're looking for the authentic recipe. Yeah. It's like when you go to the authentic Mexican restaurant and they just serve you the same old Tex-Mex stuff that yes. you usually get. And you're like, this is not authentic. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, if you know, yeah. If it's coming from like someone's grandma and nobody's written it down and it's just word of mouth, you know, that's like, then you know, know it's, it's good. good. Beignets, they've been staring at me for like 30 minutes. I already ate my beignets, including like right out of the oil, which is once again, the best way to eat them. Super hot. (laughs) (laughs) I get a choke on the powdered sugar. I did that too. (laughs) I dropped it. And then I like gasped. Inhaled. (laughs) And I inhaled the, man. Yeah. If there's not like a nasty amount of powdered sugar (laughs) your beignets are doing it wrong <laughs> it has to be totally thick like you can't see the beignet under it yeah it doesn't look like a freshly fallen snowdrift. <laughs> so i put honey on mine because that's what she does in the movie yeah i forgot i didn't do that it's good they're though. nice and puffy mm. did you say that you were using a mix for yours yes. so we use two different recipes here which one did you use? What was your recipe? Um, it's from a blog. It's the same one that I made when you were here for Halloween. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what blog it is, but we'll link it on the Instagram. Um, but it's a super easy recipe and you can make it way in advance, like even 24 hours before and you just let it sit in the fridge. The only thing well, I don't usually keep evaporated milk on hand. So that was a special ingredient that I had to buy. But if it's something you keep on hand, then that's, it's just pantry staples, except that it does ask for bread flour. Um, mm-hmm. And it did say in the recipe that that was necessary to make them the right texture and everything. Mm-hmm. So buy yourself some bread flour. And just, it, it's really easy to whip up. Stick it in your fridge, roll it out, fry it. I mean, there's it's really straightforward and it's super yummy. They're delicious. Um, yeah, that was a very, very good recipe. Um, <clears throat> so what I used was the Cafe du Monde Bini mix. The reason I used that is because Will has a subscription box um, to Chef's Trunk and in our last one, this is one of the things they sent us. And so... I still had some and I was like, I just got to use this. So, yeah. Um, but I used it also partially just to kind of illustrate the difference between the two. So Ashley's were like, at least when I had them, they like puff up nicely. Yes. They're very puffy. Yeah. And they're like, have a good crispness, but like not a lot in the middle. And that's kind of like, I think how beignets are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the flavor is really good. And honestly, anytime you're using yeast, you're going to have better flavors than when you're not using yeast. Yeah. Um, so this, this, okay. The one benefit of this mix is that it's super fast. You literally <laughs> just go mix water, roll, fry. Like there's no waiting oh, time. Oh, wow. That is no rising. Yeah. 
So you're not waiting for rises or anything like that. So it goes really quickly. So it's good if you really just want like quick fix beignets. Um, but the flavor is not as good as like the homemade recipe. Um, these also don't puff. They just kind of like fried in a curly, like in a concave pattern, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they That's don't weird. they don't puff, which means they don't have as great of a texture um either Mm -hmm. so they're not bad they're still good um they're just not as good I don't think as that other recipe so I would definitely recommend using the recipe before using this but this is good if you just that's kind of a bummer though because Cafe du Monde is like the beignet place (laughs) in New Orleans like you look for yeah if you look for where do I get beignets in New Orleans, that is by far going to be the first thing mm-hmm. that comes up and where people will tell you to go. And where you'll um, probably be waiting in line for a million years. Well, yes, I'm sure, but worth getting up early in the morning for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that their mix isn't all that amazing. But to be fair, like how often do you get mixes from places that are as good as what you like get in the restaurant. That's true. Because like when you go down the frozen aisle and you're like Wolfgang Puck frozen meals and I'm like, there's Gusto again. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, No, Gusto was modeled after Paul Newman. Really? Yes, because Oh, because they change all the outfits uh-huh. and stuff on uh, that's Yeah, because like if you didn't know for some reason, Newman's own like dressing and stuff was owned by Paul Newman. And like, yeah, every time they did like, you know, Caesar, it would show him as like a Roman bust with like a laurel wreath, you know? And then it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, every time they had a different, different kind of dressing, they changed his look to match like the vibe of the dressing. And that's what they did with Gusto and his Hot Pocket things. There was our our token Ratatouille mention. Yes, I know. It's going to be there every time. Um, What was it? Um, where was I? I lost my thought. You're saying it's a bummer that Cafe du Monde oh, is yeah. good? Yeah. Just because, yeah, the it's always going to be best if you make it yourself from yeah. scratch or if you get it from the actual place where it's from. Except my one exception to this rule is boxed brownies. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the beignets are good though. And honest and they were they're good however you make them. Yeah, they're always going to be good. My farmer's market has a beignet stand. It does? And yeah. And they have like OG beignets, but they also have a lot of like different flavors and they'll do like Mm. seasonal flavors and stuff. And they're super amazing, delicious. And they like cut the dough in front of you. When you order it, they Mm. cut the dough and pop it in the fryer. So it's Mm. really delicious. So once again, San Antonio area, you can go to the Pearl Farmer's Market and do the beignet stand. Really good. You know the good stuff, babe. I know. (sighs) I gotta tell you, weirdly enough, I wasn't expecting it, but San Antonio has amazing food. It's awesome. And I am already really sad that we are going to have to move eventually. (laughs) All right. Well, that's it for Princess and the Frog. Um, Thanks for joining us. And as always, uh, rate and review. And please actually rate and review it takes <laughs> like i know you Your hear us say Sanders that <laughs> yes. i'm once again asking for you to read and review <laughs> um but yes it's 
um it helps us a lot it's really important and it takes like i mean it takes two seconds to rate you go five stars because you can't pick any other star amount it's illegal um (laughs) but it takes like two seconds to rate or abstain (laughs) maybe that's why we don't have any ratings that's possible no one wants to be mean (laughs) but it takes you just two seconds to rate it takes a minute or two to just write up a quick review um and it really helps and don't forget to follow us on instagram where we'll post pictures of our food as well as any memes or whatever that we talk about we'll find out i'll i'll send you guys the mama thibodeau landry meme um (laughs) and that's at the bitten word podcast and join us next week we'll be talking about divergent and the dauntless chocolate cake and i'm excited for it and as always Happy reading and laissez les bon temps rouler. Happy Mardi Gras.